Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Allie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. This episode of The Neurodivergent Nurse, listener discretion is advised. There is profanity throughout this episode of the podcast, so if you are easily offended by profane words, may not be the episode for you. If you have children, but you still want to listen, make sure you listen to it when they're not around the room or just plug in your headphones. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode. I am so excited because even though we're not very deep into episodes or anything, I have one of my favorite podcasters as a guest, the very first guest on. Adrienne is amazing. She's going to tell you a bit about where you can find her, but if you are a nursing student, if you were a nurse, if you were thinking about anything in the medical field, boy, is she the person that you want to listen to. So I am so honored, Adrienne, that you are getting on here to talk about the world of nursing and ADHD today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, what an intro. Thank you. I hope I can live up to that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Adrienne Benning. I am a pulmonary palliative care nurse. I'm a blogger. I'm a podcaster. I'm an informal teacher. I hope to someday be for, I kind of do some formal teaching at my job, but um, yeah, I just like to uh, talk to other nurses and that's kind of turned into the Nursing Uncensored podcast. And, um, you know, I do some writing and I am, yes, I am an undiagnosed um, person with uh, symptoms of ADHD. I am, uh, as I say, I'm self-diagnosed, but I do have members of my family that have official ADHD diagnoses. I don't really want to talk about them so much because they do have their rights to privacy, but I do have family members that I share characteristics with. And so that's kind of where my self-diagnosis, and I'm not a fan of like the WebMD diagnosis. Yes, I am a nurse. I am not a prescribing nurse and uh, or a diagnostic nurse. So I recognize that I'm not just like walking around saying, oh, I have ADD. But like, I live around people that have ADD and like a lot of our traits are very similar. So well, you don't have to be a cardiac nurse to be able to pick out someone <laughs> might be having a heart attack. You know, yeah, I mean, when you, exactly. when you know the symptoms and the right. qualifications, it's not very hard to link those two together. Right. So, um, you know, and this is one of those things where the symptoms, they're not majorly detrimental to my life. Although when I can't sit still long enough to finish a movie, my partner might disagree. (laughs) But um, these aren't things that are like, you know, destructive to my quality of life. So I don't plan on seeking a diagnosis or 
medical intervention, but I do have some behavioral things that I do to try to make my life a little smoother so that these symptoms aren't such a problem in my day to day. But you know, as I've been listening to your podcast, like listening to your first episode about how ADHD presents in women, it made me do a little bit more research. It kind of stimulated my thoughts about it about how women are typically diagnosed later because it doesn't present the same way. One of my family members was diagnosed within the first few years of adolescence. And so, you know, that family member is a male. And so it is diagnosed very early in males and then in females like me, not so much at all. And I was always a good student. I was always, you know, I didn't get in trouble at school, but that didn't mean that I didn't have a crazy time trying to focus. So I, um, to talk a little bit about, I made a little list of symptoms because then as I started thinking about it, I was like, what are my symptoms? Like, can I list them? And so some things at home that are symptoms, I think of ADHD is like, I'm never just doing one thing. You know, my partner, Doug loves to watch movies and documentaries, and I'm always doing something else. I'm always either on my phone, folding laundry, knitting, you know, like writing little notes to myself. There's always some other secondary thing that I'm doing with my hands. So that's one thing that we notice. The fact that when I'm cooking, there's always some other little task that takes me away. So I'm a really good cook, but Doug says that I, uh, I celebrate too soon. You know, like I'll be almost done with the dinner. And then I'll go off to like do something like, yes, I made this great dinner. And then I'll just go do like put a load of laundry in or something. And suddenly the dinner's burned. So it's like things like that. Or like I'll have my cell phone with me. I quote, quote, air quotes, I'll lose it like 10 times in like a five minute span because I keep setting it down as I'm moving about the apartment. And he's like, babe, put it in your fucking pocket. Can I say whatever you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's like things like that, where it's like that constant, you know, like I've quote unquote lost my phone, but really it's just like under my left hip. You know, it's like those things where like, I'm constantly like moving about and there's this constant stimulus happening with me. As far as like things at work, It's, you know, like losing post-it notes, running late, like maybe thinking that five minutes have gone by, but really it's been like 15. It's like those kinds of things, like not being organized, feeling like I'm always flying by the seat of my pants. If I have too many people coming at me with stimulus, I'm like, ah, too much, you know, those kinds of things that overstimulating. But sometimes, you know, there are things that if there is a bit of, you know, like for example, um, I love ASMR. So if I have some kind of like minor beat or something going in my ear, other friends have listened to that and they're like, oh my God, that would drive me insane. But it like, it's enough of a stimulus that it helps me focus. I'm an only child. I have two half brothers from my dad's first marriage, but we didn't grow up together. They're 10 and 13 years older than I am. Repetitive noises in general, they don't drive me crazy. Just like you were saying, that little bit of a beat But in general, and I used to think it was because I was an only child, never had someone that just aggravated the fire out of me growing (laughs) up like a sibling. But now I'm thinking that 
that's probably more of an ADHD thing. Like I do well with like little minor noises, little minor stimulation. It keeps me going and that it almost helps quiet the brain a little bit. Yeah. Cause what do we know about the medical treatment of ADHD? What do they treat? They, they treat with stimulants, right? Mm -hmm. So you're constantly when you have, and I mean, this is rudimentary. I'm not like an expert on this or anything, but with ADHD, you're constantly seeking that stimulant. You're st- that stimulus, right? So you're like those dopamine hits, right? You're you're looking for things to do. You're fidgeting. You're you know you're tapping your foot. You're clicking your pen. You're doing these things. You're looking for that stimulus. So if they give you a stimulant, it like hits that that need for stimulus, and so you you can chill for a minute. You're not mm-hmm. looking for that external stimulus because you're getting an intr- an internal one. So yeah, it's kind of like for me music or a beat or something like that hits that stimulus need for me. So it allows me to focus. So like when I'm studying and we can talk about this a little bit later, I want to talk about this later when we get to, um, cause this isn't on my list. This is one of the things that has become a huge coping mechanism for me is ASMR. And I didn't learn about ASMR and I'll explain what that is later, but I didn't learn about ASMR until I was in nursing school and it was a result of nursing school videos that I learned about it. So, um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to explain why I'm here and what we're going to talk about. And I do have notes and I want to use my notes because I'll get nature of the beast. I'll get all <laughs> over the place. By the way, here's my RNAF shirt. <laughs> Love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I learn more about this, I'm curious to see how I feel about my coping mechanism. But as I've been reading, even just a little bit that I've been prompted to read after listening to the episodes that you've put out, just that what you've got, like th- at the time of our recording, you've got three episodes mm-hmm, out and I've listened to all of them because this is a topic that I was like, this really interests me. Like this is relevant to my life. This is relevant to the lives of people I care about. And this is also interesting to me because as nurses, we have this like pure, you know, we're trusted, we're looked at as these ethically pure creatures, but like nurses have health issues. Nurses have mental health issues. It doesn't disqualify us from being good nurses. We're we human. Or human. Period. And here's the thing. As a nurse with anxiety, depression, mental health issues, I understand what my patients are going through. It doesn't mean that I'm incapable of being a good nurse. It just means that my mental health care, I need to listen to my own body, my own, you know, I need to be taking good care of myself so that my symptoms aren't stronger than my patients, basically. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean that we can't talk about these things. Fear of people being like, oh, well, that nurse, she's got mental health issues. But there is well, a real we, stigma around right, it, unfortunately, is, which is yeah. what we're going to do. We're going to rip off that bandaid. I'm tired of the stigma that is associated with things just like this, especially for healthcare professionals. Right, right. But it's like, there are how many nurses in the country? You really think they're what, what, like 3 million nurses or something in the United States? I don't know now that nurses are like hemorrhaging out of the profession because right. of the COVID tra- uh, traumas they've suffered. Last statistic I heard, there's like 3 million nurses in the country. You really think that there are 3 million people in this country that are devoid of any kind of health or mental, especially now that we've been through a pandemic mm-hmm. and people now, of course, they have traumas associated with what they've experienced. So I guess my point is, is that we need to talk about what we're experiencing. mm -hmm. We're not like these pristine, perfect, oh, I go home and 
I have no, like, I've never cried in my life. If you come to my bedside and tell me you're a nurse with perfect mental health, I'm going to kick, I'm going to fire you because you're a Stepford wife and there's something wrong with you if you don't have any mental health issues. Like, give me something, somebody who has a good, healthy cry in the shower in the morning. That's my home girl. Okay. I think that we do need to talk about it because this is normal. And the more we don't talk about it, like I had a physician, Dr. Nina Ahuja was on my podcast recently. She wrote a book called Stress in Medicine and it talks about the silence among health. I mean, she's, she's a physician. She wrote about the Mm -hmm. silence among physicians. But all these healthcare providers are like having these massive, horrible experiences. And like, then we have, you know, healthcare providers that are even going to the extremes of ending their own lives because they think they're alone in Mm -hmm. this horrible experience. So anyway, I don't want to take it to like those serious extremes, but like, it's a big deal when we don't talk about these things, when really it's like, we can do things to modify our lifestyles, whether it be you know, medication, therapy, behavioral change. And for me, kind of with what I was talking about, for me, it's like behavioral change. Okay. So I don't feel like I need to be medicated. My symptoms aren't changing my ability to get up and go through my day safely or effectively. So yeah, I'm like, what can I do? What can I change within myself and my habits that are going to make my shift a little bit? In this case, what we're talking about today is what can I do in my shift? What I do in my personal life, of course, is different. But today, what I wanted to talk about, I in total have 10 organizational tips for the nurse, the bedside nurse with ADHD. So this is specifically for my nurses that are like hitting the ground running, taking care of patients. This is going to be different for nurses that are away from the bedside. So we're going to talk about five of these on the show today. And then for the other five, they have to go to my blog at nursinguncensored.com slash blog slash ADD tips. Okay. So that's where they go for the other five. And this is not gimmicky crap. Like this is, (laughs) we just, we're sharing the love. It's a great, it's a great blog, by the way. I was laughing from the beginning of it. And as I was reading through, I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I mean, there were some that uh, if you don't cover, they definitely want because it is so helpful. That blog was so helpful. I I love it. Yeah. And this is practice. And, and, you know, some people are like, well, if I can't remember to do basic things, how am I going to remember to do the things on the list? These are things that I've developed Mm -hmm. over time that I've personalized for myself. And so it's like I say with every like top 10 or like helpful tips for the, this person, you've got to glean what you can for yourself. Not every top 10 list is going to have t- 10 things for you. So you've got to pick what you think is, you know, cherry pick what you think is going to work for you. And then the rest don't. That's my disclaimer. So take what you think you can use. And then these are some of the symptoms that these tips apply for. So being easily distracted or overwhelmed, losing things. Uh, running late or behind, being disorganized or losing track of time. These are some of the symptoms that we're going to kind of work on today. Those are huge ones. Those are huge ones. Big check boxes. (laughs) And the blog is going to go into a little bit more detail examples. And one of the things that I love that I do have to point out is that under the being disorganized uh, symptom, this is one of the reasons I think that I was never diagnosed is because I am a, a perfect storm of being type A and a complete slob. And you'll notice this. It just depends. And it's 
and it's become more extreme with the um, pandemic and me not having people over to my house. This house, it so it's like there's like this um I don't know what they're called the thing that sits on a piano that like swings back and forth the tick tock tick tock the um like a pendulum. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, well I oh. mean. It- Yeah, like basically a pendulum is what I'm saying. So there's this pendulum that swings in my house. At one end of the pendulum, you could take photos for like a cool, eccentric, like cool apartment magazine. Okay, so our house is this cool mix of like art and weird shit. And like, I love our apartment and it's clean and it's beautiful. And at the other end of it, I wouldn't let my mother come in this house. (laughs) So we, we routinely swing back and forth between like, oh God is this how I live? And then on the other end of it, it's like, wow, I wish I could have everyone I know come into my apartment right now because this looks really good. So that's where we're at in the pandemic. Right now we're somewhere in the middle of the swing. (laughs) Okay. So, but yeah, I'm like the perfect mix of both. And Doug- I was going to ask you if, if at work you were very, that you were more type A, perfectly clean, desk is always organized versus at home, a complete chaotic mess, because that's how I am. I feel like people at work would be like, Jamie would never have a disaster of a home. It always looks like a tornado. We can make a fun game where we're blindfolded and just have to run through the house and see who's going to break an ankle first. So and it would be second. at work, I am incredibly type A. However, I also understand that if you're busy and you're running crazy and you're just barely keeping your patients alive, fuck the pile of blankets in the corner. Oh yeah. That's all I got to say. So yes, but I also, if I'm having a good night, I like to restock everything, reset, make sure my patients are on clean chucks. Like my tubing is labeled. Like I'm that kind of nurse. I have high standards for the way I leave my patient rooms, but also once in a while you have nights where I'm sorry but that trach looks terrible and it's the best I can do to keep them sat and well sorry but that's the exception to the rule for me Mm -hmm. like I'm super type a but I'm type a because if you go in there and all your cords and tubing and everything is tangled up and you have a code how are you going to get that bed out of that room to get that patient to ICU that's why I'm type a I'm not type a because like I need everything to look pretty I'm type a because it could be the difference between you getting that ambu bag to that patient fast enough or not. Mm-hmm. I'm super meticulous at work too, but I yeah. would always, so like during the night, as I said before, I work night shift majority of my nursing career until just a couple of years ago, but I'm not bedside so much anymore. It's just rapid response. But when I was bedside, I would lose between four and seven o'clock because I would postpone all of the real tasks that I needed to do. Like I'm more meticulous on all the uh, patient centered things. Everything had to be perfect for the patient. But then between four and seven, if the patients were quote, okay, they were living and surviving and it wasn't requiring all of me to maintain that those three hours would fly by because I'm having to undo all the chaos that I created and ignored and everything had to be perfect by 7 a.m. And I don't know where those hours went. Yeah, it happens. I mean, it just depends on the type of unit you work on, what's happening with your patients. I mean, but I think that, you know, when I was new, of course it was chaos and there were just some things. But now that, you know, I've been on the same unit for four years, 
I know what to anticipate. I know when things can go to shit. I know that if I'm having a great shift that I don't postpone things because when things are going beautifully and you think you got all the time in the world to set up all that new IV tubing, that's when you're going to get an admission that's a train wreck and needs three sets of blood cultures and they are shitting and they have C. diff. And so I'm one of those people that I'm like, yeah, things look beautiful now, but you better make sure (laughs) that you pee and your tubing is already ready to go and you got your lab kit set up. And because I am very much a woman of science, but I'm one of those crazy nurses that is like ward off bad spirits and have all that shit ready to go because your six o'clock hour could be hellacious. If oh, that's when we always get rapids. 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Don't don't leave all that stuff. Have if you can draw those labs at four, get that shit done. Okay, so we're we're we got ADHD tangent. <laughs> I've got five points that I want to share with you. And I'm gonna try not to go super crazy tangenty on these, but um, let's talk about the first one. The first one is very important to me. And I think that this takes practice, but this is something that is different everywhere. This is a culture thing. People will fight me on this, but I will go toe to toe on this. You need a structured brain sheet. Okay. I don't care where you work, what your brain sheet looks like. Find the one that works for you. Buy one on Etsy, steal one from the the nurse that has one that you like, get a brain sheet because I have gotten report from nurses from all over a level one trauma center. I've had travel nurses. I've had nurses of 30 years, nurses of one year, nurses that think they know what they're doing, nurses that do know what they're doing. And I can tell who, like, I get great report from some nurses and other nurses. I'm like, whoa, what just happened to me? I feel like that was drive-by verbal diarrhea. When you've got a nurse that's like, oh, this this patient, they have a Foley, they got an IV somewhere in their left. And you're like, whoa, who, wait, what room? Which <laughs> patient? Are they a full code? What's happening? What? Wait, what? So I've seen nurses that they come up and they've got a piece of paper and it's just got shit scribbled all over it. And then there's stuff crossed out and like body systems are like all over the, you, you can't tell me why this patient is here. You don't know what their labs are. I could get better report if I just sit down at the computer. And that's not to be rude. Like sometimes nurses get bad report they don't have time to sit down and look at the computer i understand those situations as well when that yeah right and that does happen but when it's the same nurse Mm -hmm. every freaking time because she's she didn't write anything down or she wrote shit down on a napkin or on the back of a banana peel with a sharpie it's a style more than it is like a oh shit i got an admission i wasn't expecting you can tell the difference when it's and i'm not hating on people some people have a very like they're very strong well i've been doing this for 40 years okay well you just told me that they're here for pneumonia but they're here for a a hemothorax i know your system is your system but like you didn't tell me why they were here it was the wrong reason like you told me their chest tube was suction, but the order says water seal. And this is not to hate on people. I'm not, I make mistakes, but I think that when, especially when you have an ADHD brain where you are forgetting things, it's important to have structure. Do you have a favorite brain sheet? I do. And do you actually, have it in like a PDF type of format? I do. And I can share that in the blog post. 
post. Yeah. Hey, I tell you what, why don't I also send you mine? So mine comes yeah. from like neuro ICU, but so when you have like hourly assessments or if you have EVDs that you have to document on every single hour, they can also access that if they're in ICU that they can grab that as well. It's not specific yeah. for neuro, but. And it's okay if you make your own too, just have like a system. And like, it's a and good guide. If you know one works for somebody else, like yeah, use it as yeah. a guide to make your own. And to, and to the defense of the nurses that use like a piece of paper, some nurses will use like just a blank piece of paper, but they write down mm -hmm. neuro, cardiac, endocrine, GI, GU, muscular, you know, so like they have a system, they're hitting mm -hmm. everything. My system is based on, we chart with Epic. My system is based on Epic. It was made, originally it was made by my assistant nurse manager. I took the template that she had made and I customized it the way I want it to look mm -hmm. for myself. It's been further manipulated. So there's many versions floating around my unit, but mine works for me. It has a flow. And because there are boxes that designate each system, I know that I want something in every box. So even if the person that's giving me a report is jumping from body system to body system, I can follow them. Mm -hmm. And I know that unless I've got something in every box, and if that patient is within normal limits for that system, I can just like put a line through that box. I can write normal WDL, WNL, whatever my shorthand is in my head. I don't have that chaos of like, oh my God, did she tell me about their cardiac? Did I ask about this? Like, what did we just talk about? This is going so fast. Like I have, you know, so I don't, it takes that panic out and then and you can when, notice the blank block boxes as well. So like if they right. didn't cover cardiac, whenever right. they finish their whole report and you don't have to be rude, you know, when they go through everything and be like, okay, cool. So what are the blood pressure parameters for this? Right. And then I can actively listen because I'm not trying to keep a list of all the things right. that they didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. So I can pay attention to what they're saying. And then when the other trick that I have is on my unit, you know, if I work multiple shifts in a row, they try to keep continuity of care and we do have patients that stay a long time on my unit. So odds are I'm going to get the same patients back over and over again. So when I take a report, I have a lot of colored pens. I will take a report in a different color every day. So then I can keep track between creatinine on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What were their labs Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You know, like I can tell the difference. So I'm not just looking at everything written in black ink and oh my God, what did I write when? And, and so, you can also pick out the changes as well. So if you had yeah. a creatinine that was 0.9 on Monday, but on Wednesday, your creatinine is like 2.4, then somebody may have missed it. There may be an acute kidney injury. Right. And that's a good trigger for you too, to be able to see the progress. So these help me in my brain separate things so that I'm not constantly having to fire through the Rolodex in my head. So those automatically help me. The other thing that I do is I have on the on the back of my, so I have one piece of paper per patient, but like I'm on a progressive care unit. So like, it's hard for me to do any less than that. Cause like, I've got patients that like, we're doing a lot of stuff mm -hmm. for them. Like they're vented, they're on drips. They've got catheters, they've got wounds. They've got like, there's a lot of shit that I like, I can't write it down on a piece of paper like this. So on the back side of the piece of paper, I actually have a timeline that I can do multiple, multiple columns. So I can be like, okay, I don't have time to chart, but I can write down like, oh, I changed the dressing at this time. And then when I go back to chart, do that know, time block. Yeah, I've got yep. that stuff done. So that kind of is 
that's kind of how I do that. And then number two is live charting. So this is also kind of like something that this is something that like also some people will fight me on like, oh, I never do that. That takes too long. That's such a pain in the ass. But this is also something that depends on your facility. Like some people still paper chart. Some people have really- God bless them. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Also, some people have computers that are like dinosaur slow. I'm lucky that I work in a hospital where we have computer. I work on a respiratory floor. All of our rooms are single rooms because we have to be able to isolate people. We do breathing treatments that we have to be able to lock down the room so that, you know, because we're putting shit in the air and respiratory illness. So I'm lucky we have single rooms. We have a computer in each room. So when I go into a room, even if I know I'm only going to do one or two things for that patient, or if I'm going to be in that room for a while, I will walk in, I'll sign into the computer. I just get to swipe my badge logs me into the computer and what regardless of what I've done for that patient I'll just chart some whatever it is empty a urinal reposition give them a med something I like time stamp that I was in that room it's like leaving a little breadcrumb so then whether I go into the next room after that or I do something else after that it's like I've left little breadcrumbs throughout my night of what I've done so that when I go back to chart I'm like oh okay so I I dumped that urinal I charted that urine output at like 10 15 and then I know I went in and I turned Susie Q right after that. So I can chart that I repositioned her like five minutes after that. Then if I don't get to sit down and chart my full assessment till later, I don't have to sit and be like, oh my God, what time was that? Was that 11? Was that 9.15? God, when did I turn her? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've got like these little trails that I'm leaving throughout the night with my charting. Can I just so- say that I love the fact that the real, correct and accurate time that you did certain things is when you want to chart it. I love that so much. It needs to be a standard period. Yeah. Cause here's the thing. If you have a patient, okay, so we used to do, and I fought for this so hard, and this has been, this was like one of my soapboxes when I was a nursing assistant, and I fought so hard for the live urine output charting, because we used to do paper output INOs on the, like, we'd hang it on the cabinet door in the patient room, and then nursing assistant nurses, they'd write up, "Eh, I dumped 300 cc's of urine out of the patient's urinal. Well, sometimes people would write it up on the sheet, sometimes they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So then if I came in at 7 p.m., but we didn't do urine output until 10 p.m. And I came in and I'm like, oh, they didn't write anything on the sheet from three to seven. Well, I have no idea what their urine output was. Or they'd write, oh, this patient, they had like 600 out all, all eight hours. Okay. Well, did they pee one time for 600 out, 600 cc's? Or did they pee 50 cc's every 30 minutes for a total of 600, indicating that maybe this dude has a UTI? What does that profile look like? It also helps too, not only in the ways that you are expressing, which is amazing because, you know, if they have vascular issues, it's important to know that they haven't had the output for X amount of time. Right. But two, if you went in there, because let's say something happens to your patient, they start acting more confused or they're not moving one side of their body or they're slurred and it's not based off a pain medication. Well, the neurologist or the rapid response nurse or whoever's going to ask, well, when's the last time that you saw them that they were normal? How are you going to remember when you have four other patients Mm -hmm. the exact time? And that is so important if they're going to receive TPA or a thrombectomy. Right. Like it's so important to have the actual time that you did these things and that the patient had those things. I was in there. 
don't know. Maybe it was like not. Was it nine o'clock? Hey Judy, was I in there at nine o'clock or was it like ten? I don't know. I might have been in there at like ten fifteen. Is that really the conversation you want to have in front of the neurologist? Like really? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So leaving those little breadcrumbs, as I like to say, is a really nice way to keep those clinical pictures and then not only that but then that's less charting that you have to do in the long run you know also i work on a floor with lung patients i work with people that have had right uh middle lobectomy so like they might have decreased left lower lung sound right upper lobe is uh light crackles right middle lobe is absent right lower lobe is coarse crackles. Am I going to remember that in 25 minutes after I've listened to four other, pe- three other people's lung sounds who also are diminished, coarse, diminished, cra- light crackle? Like what? Just chart that in the room. Then you don't have to write down like right upper lobe, light crackles, right lower lobe, wheezes, expiratory. Like just do it. Just chart it right there and then it's done. And you don't have to chart the whole assessment. Just chart the stuff that you're not going to remember or that is going to be complicated to reverbalize later. See, I'm having a hard time even verbalizing it now. They're totally reasonable to do. And I'm trying to teach my student to do that stuff now too. Oh, he's got edema in weird places. He's got bruises in weird places that you're not going to remember. Put it in right now so that you're not trying to like remember. Oh, was that a chemosis on on his right lateral left calf who cares put it in when you're there looking at it and then it's done so yeah and because we we get so distracted easily as well or we're always trying to play catch up with our time and things mm-hmm. like that also live charting is great if you have a long-winded family member oh yeah so- you're like mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. So you can give them Mm -hmm. the time and attention that they want as well. But then you can go ahead and start knocking off the stuff because it is likely if you do have ADHD, you are able to listen to that as well as (laughs) type in your stuff, too, with minimal error. So I think that's a great time. And, you know, it's something that people that that a supervisor told me when I worked in a call center. People already expect that we're on a computer anyway. They Mm -hmm. already expect to hear the clacking of keys. There was once when I did a blood pressure, free blood pressure clinic for elderly folks. And while I'm checking this guy's blood pressure manually, he's just talk, 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 talking away. It's like people don't think you need focus while you're doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're going to keep talking while you're charting. They don't really... I mean, they don't even really care if you're focusing. They just need somebody to talk to. Right. So I'm not saying be rude and don't listen to your patients in moments of importance, but sometimes they're just like, they've told that story to six other nurses and you can just chart a little bit while you're there, you know, like read the room, know when mm-hmm. it's appropriate, but yeah, just do that. Okay. You just don't miss this thing, miss as many things. This is a nice segue as well, because <laughs> if you're live charting, you're also going to be less likely to write things down on post-it notes. Okay, let's talk about our old friend, the post-it note or the scrap paper. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Look, 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 it. look, it. look, it. look, 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 what, 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 what's going on? I, what, girl, let's, let's, let's be real. Let's be real about it. 
I realized you weren't able to see what was going on right then, but as Adrian was talking about post-it notes, I pulled out my large stack of post-it notes that I have sitting on my desk next to my computer with tons of stuff written on it. And then she just started pulling out all the random papers around and that was the shuffling that you heard. I was watching some TikToks. I follow this woman on TikTok. God, now I'm going to have to put all those post-it notes back where they live. (laughs) Um, I was watching this woman on TikTok because she has all these tips about things you didn't know were related to ADHD. And every time I watch one of her TikToks, I'm like, that's me. But she was talking about how if things, if we can't see it, it doesn't exist. And so that's how we end up. Yeah, that's how we Mm -hmm. end up with like freaking post-its everywhere. But at work, I'm moving around so much. The post-it notes, like people have come to me. I've, I've received snaps at work of people that are like in the bathroom, for example, and there's a post-it note on the floor and they know it's my notation because of the way I like write on my post-it notes. And they're like, are you missing something? As they're like sitting on the toilet and they see my post-it note, like stuck to the floor or the toilet paper holder or something. And I'm like, oh shit, I would have been really upset if I had lost that post-it note. So that's why I've gotten used to, you know, live charting. Cause I'm like, oh, that has all my med volumes on it. We have the fancy Epic that like our pumps autofill into Epic, but some things like like our PCAs, they don't autofill. Like right. some things we have to like write old fashioned, write it down, put it into Epic. But these are narcotics and stuff. So you don't want to be losing these. But you know, it never fails that once you take a post-it note on and off, something a couple times doesn't stick anymore. So then you end up with like post-it notes stuck to your shoe, falling off. And some of this information you can't lose. Or like if it's got somebody's name on it or a phone mm-hmm. number and you lose it in a hallway on the way to the cafeteria, you could be in violation of HIPAA yeah so let's not let's not play with those post-its people like write on gloves gross (laughs) throw away your glove don't expect that that's anything you're gonna keep don't write on your glove or the people be like oh I just wrote it on my arm so now you've got somebody's sputum total on (laughs) your skin stop doing that in an emergency whatever right you know write on your clothes but I wear black scrubs what am I supposed to keep like a glitter pen in my pocket to write on my scrubs with? These things in an emergency, like I've seen people put a tegaderm on their skin and then write on that. Great in an emergency, but I tried that as like a, oh, I'm going to try this hack. After a while, your skin gets all pruney and irritated underneath. So it's not good for like a whole shift. So you've got to have some solution for how you're going to keep notes. Some people use the note, we use Volt phones, little iPhones. Mm-hmm. Some people use the notepad on their phone. Some Some people actually have like a little teeny tiny spiral bound notebook they use. I personally, let me grab it real quick. I want to show you my um, little pad that I use. You don't even have to chop this out. This is an organic, totally organic situation. Okay, so I have my my badge, which is like heavy duty. I'm highly abnormal. This is what we're going to talk about in one of my next uh, one of my next points. But if it's not attached to me, it's not coming with me. Mm -hmm. So I do have post-it notes on the back, so I'm kind of defying my own point here. (laughs) 
But behind this, I have this thing, okay? And I link to this in the blog post. This is a scribe pad, okay? You can get them vertical or horizontal like mine. It's double-sided. It's literally just here. I'll hold it up to my camera. It's lit- I'm holding it to the microphone like that's going to do anything. It's literally just like a dry erase pad. Look, there's vitals on there right now. It's just a dry erase pad. And I bought a wet erase marker. So it's not, it can't be smudged. Oh, yeah. So it's wet erase. So I just, either with a wet rag or an alcohol pad, I can wipe it off. But it doesn't come off when I smudge it. And so I can write notes on here. I love this thing. I love this thing. It's not sponsored, although I would totally take a sponsorship for a scribe pad. <laughs> but I love this thing. I've used it so much. And, and you it's can on clean the- it. Like, I mean, here you we are in the middle it. of you COVID. You can totally clean it. Yeah. This thing is my number one. I use it so much. And um, I don't have to worry about losing it. I can see any white. Everything that's on my badge, I can see any mm-hmm. white. But that's been my saving grace because I can write anything down on it. And there's there's no scrap paper plus it's just environmentally friendly because I'm not throwing away scrap paper that I wrote like two numbers down on so you know it's credit card sized I use a fine point wet erase marker I sometimes will like quarter it off like make four sections and Mm -hmm. like just use a section for each patient so if I list things that I mean obviously I don't need to tell you all the things I write on it you freaking write on it it's great that is such a great idea I love it (laughs) I think I'm gonna buy one for all of my team yeah so tell them nursing on Uncensored sent you. Maybe I will. that'll consider them to be like, who is this nursing uncensored? Maybe we should give them. I mean, I do a giveaway with them. I'd I'd shout them out. I'd do ads. Tell them, tell them I sent you because I love this thing and it's totally not expensive. They ship it with like, I think a dry, dry erase marker and you can totally use dry erase. I just know that when my hands are sweaty after I've taken a glove off, I'll smudge it and then it'll just come right off. But yeah, that's huge tip. So that's tip number three. And then that all these just segue so nice together. I wrote this in the middle of the Good night. Good job. I'm kind of proud of myself. You should be. <laughs> so this is the second to last that I'm going to share with you guys. And I just wrote number four, wear it. Basically, it's like I was saying with this huge, I got a heavy duty badge reel. This is like one of the huge ones. I wear everything. I have my Sharpie my dry erase. I have all my phone numbers, all my bat, my ACLS guidelines, all of it. On the other side of my shirt, I have a really lightweight clip that has my scissors and my pen light on it. Because there have been times I, when I first got my little teeny tiny, I love my little tiny safety scissors. They're like minis that I got on Amazon. I'll link those in the blog. But I lost like three pairs of those. I just kept rebuying them because I would set them down, walk away. Now I have them on like a a reel so that I can still, um, you know, reel, use them, wipe them off with an alcohol pad and they just hang from my shirt or from my pocket so that I can tuck them in the pocket so that I don't just have like sharp things hanging from my shirt. But so many times I'll use the scissors and usually when I'm done using them, I wipe them off, put them back in my shirt. But sometimes I forget that they're, you know, that I've finished, I don't put them back in my pocket and I'll walk away. Mm-hmm. Normally I would walk away and leave them on the table, but now I walk away and they're just hanging from my shirt. So then I look down and I go, oh yeah, my scissors, I got to clean my scissors and put them back in my pocket. 
pocket, that is the moment in which I realize, oh, if I hadn't attached them to me, they'd be gone. I would have just left them there. So everyone snatches scissors. (laughs) And they're like gold, they're like pins. So here's the thing. People laugh at me and I've had patients say, wow, you're like, and, and my, my screen name on Instagram is go, go gadget nurse, because I have, if you're a kid of the eighties, you remember inspector gadget. He had like all this shit that would pop out of his pockets and hat and stuff that he could then do stuff with and save the day. And people laugh. Cause I'll be like, wow, you, you wear a lot of stuff attached to you, but it never fails. Nine times out of 10, if somebody's like, do you have a, I'll be like, yep, here you go. (laughs) That may not work for everybody. Not everybody wants to feel like they have stuff hanging from them, like a pen or a big badge reel, but that works for me. And at any given moment I can, and I, and I wear them in the same place every single time and it's taken practice, but now it's just muscle memory. If I need scissors, I automatically go for that pocket. If I need my pen light, I automatically reach for it. It takes habit building, but that for me means that I don't lose my shit. I come home with all of my tools every day. I don't spend all of my shift walking around a patient room going, where did I put the tape? Where did I put my scissors? Where did I put my light? So, I mean, when you think about it, early on in my podcast, my original co-host and I calculated how much time it would take you in a year if you spent like seconds a day looking for your pen. Mm. And it ended up being like hours and hours a year that you would spend just looking for a pen. Maybe it's silly, but I'm like, the amount of time I spend randomly looking for shit that I could easily just keep in my pocket, it makes a difference for me. I couldn't find the, I call it a base that I plug my USB into to charge my phone. Yeah. I couldn't find it for a couple of days. I only have have 8,000. But this one, because I knew that I didn't know where it was, I became fixated in finding it. And I found it in my pantry next to the dog treats. So <laughs> with the type of brains that we have, you said, well, you you may not want to wear all of this stuff on you. Yeah, you may not. But we also don't want to spend all the money and the time to find the things that we are going to lose. That's just how we work. Not, not everyone in the world of nursing, but those of us with brains like ours, it is just, it's something that we do. I think that is a brilliant idea that I think that I'm going to have to go buy another badge thing so that I can start incorporating it as well. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, um, badge reel that I found, I was so nerdy excited. I actually found a badge reel. So what I do is I put a little safety pin on the inside of my shirt that I clip this little reel to. It's a double lanyard. So it actually has two reels that come out from it. When I found this, I was so excited and people around me were like, "Uh (laughs) yeah, that's great. Another thing to clip to your shirt. That's wonderful. And I was like, it's going to be here on Thursday. People humor me, but those same people are like, hey, can I use that thing that's attached? And I'm like, yeah, sure. There you go. Just give it back to me when you're done. You know, so (laughs) I love it. I'm going to do it. And then my last tip, which I'm going to go broke by just listening to you talk about all the things (laughs) that you use that I don't. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Um, I have, I have a very, people say that I have the coolest shit, but I also would have a lot more money if Mm -hmm. I did. (laughs) But at least you get to save some from not losing things. 
Yeah. But like, like it literally happened last night where I was talking to my friend on video chat and I was showing her something in my house and she goes, wait, 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 go back. What's that clock on the wall? Can you send me the link to that clock that you've got? And I was like, oh my God, it happens again. <laughs> and yet somehow I make no money from affiliate links. So I need to start <laughs> sending people be like, you can only have the link if you promise to use my affiliate link. <laughs> So yeah, all the links on my website are affiliate links. So if you guys use the links on my website, not all, but the Amazon links on my website are affiliate links. Most of the links that are in the blog post that I'm sharing with you guys today are not, uh, most of them are not affiliate links. They're just products that I really, really like. And like the, the scribe pad, um, that's not an affiliate link. And some of the other ones that I haven't talked about today, but that I'm going to share are also not affiliate links. There are going to be five more that I'm not going to talk about today before I get to my last one. There are five more that are over on the blog that are of similar quality, but that I want to save. So you guys need to go over to, um, and I'll give you the link to the blog so you can link it in the show notes. That's going to be at nursinguncensored.com slash blog slash ADD tip. And the one that I want to kind of use to close out my, what I'm offering to your listeners is one that is always going to be important. And, you know, behavioral modifications are great. And if they help you, that is wonderful. But of course, there comes a point at which sometimes we can't do things on our own. And there are limitations to what we can do with the help of friends and family. And when things get to be too much for us, it becomes really important to talk to our healthcare providers about what we're experiencing. There are lots of resources online that you can look at that help you figure out if maybe ADHD or, or not even ADHD, AD, attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which have subtle dif- have differences. But you can find lots of information online. The one that I was looking at that I wanted to link is uh, CHAD, C-H-A-D-D dot org. And the organization does focus on children, but they have a lot of great information on adults um, with ADHD. So I'm going to link that in the blog post. But of course, you can talk to your regular doctor, nurse practitioner, if you are an adult, if you have kids, teenagers. Anyone that you think might be having symptoms like this, you can talk to their provider. There's lots of education and advocacy groups online. There are going to be some links in the, in the blog that you can follow. You don't have to deal with this alone. And I encourage you, if your symptoms that you're having are interfering with your daily life, you don't have to just do medication. You don't have to just do behavioral change. There are lots of options as we learn more about uh, this disorder. So I want to encourage people not to let stigma get to them. This is treatable. You and I are living proof that there are lots of different ways to handle this. And, and you don't survive. just, yeah. And you don't just have to tough it out. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's important for people to recognize too, I've mentioned it, I think in the last couple, maybe every single episode, we have so many superpowers too. It's unfortunate that there is such a stigma around it because there are things that we excel at that neurotypical people don't. So also really pay attention to the things that you do well, that other people struggle with around you and embrace that, embrace that beauty that comes from your brain and from you and who you are. Those are 
perks that not everyone has in life too. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the things that make us able to connect with our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have had panic attacks at different points in my life, like genuine panic attack, can't breathe, heart is racing, like feels like you're going to die, walls closing in on you, terrifying feeling. And I've said to patients before who are, you know, who have panic attacks, I say to them, I've had panic attacks before too. It doesn't work when people tell you to calm down, does it? And I always say, no, it doesn't. And I say, I'm never going to tell you that. Or when they dismiss what you're going through, you're just Mm -hmm. anxious. There is no just about it when you're trapped inside your body, like you're captive to your body. What a horrible feeling that is. And I work with patients that have chronic lung disease or even sometimes sudden lung injury. And it's like, okay, now you're telling someone who can't breathe. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, breathe through a drinking straw and tell me that you're going to calm down. These are, these are skills that we have and the things that we experience while they're negative, when we're experiencing them, we need to remember that these are ways that we can connect to our patients in appropriate ways, you know? And again, you know, you've always got to read the room. Sometimes your patients don't want to hear about your shit and uh, that doesn't help them. But I've had real connections with patients who say, what do you do? when this happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I've talked to patients about my different coping mechanisms, what I do when I'm in the throes of it, what I try to think to myself. And I also tell them, I say, sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does, but I always try, you know, and I remember that um, it feels like it's going to kill you, but it's not gonna. But yeah, so we just got to remember that these are things that they don't make us weaker. Talking about it makes us stronger because we're we're letting people know that this happens to us. And they're not, not alone. Gonna, and, and we're not going to let it rule us. Mm-hmm. You know, it may take over at times, but, you know, we're not letting it define us. And we're doing what we can to control and minimize those symptoms. And um, I think it's really important that as healthcare workers that we recognize because here's the thing if we say like oh well as nurses we can't have mental health care issues because that means we're broken well then that's like saying to our patients they're broke well we can't be like you that means we're broken you're not broken you have some shit to deal with we all do does that mean that if you have you have a chronic illness you have type 1 diabetes you're broken no you just you just have some shit in your body that you need to deal with I made a post on my Instagram the other day that it was like a sticker and it said, it's okay to have to take meds every day. My analogy, the correlation was I was born five foot, well, I wasn't born five foot nothing, but I've only grown. (laughs) Oh, your poor mother. God. Uh, But you know, I'm only five feet tall. No matter what I do, I can't be taller, but I can use a step stool to get to reach the high dishes in my cabinet. And so these are issues. It's how we were born and the things that we need to utilize it. We're all born different in general. There's no shame in who we are. We just have to use the tips and tricks and tools and embrace it. And for people like you that bring all the cool things, especially in the world of nursing, because nursing isn't easy, but it's something that when we find those ways for us to be better then it only makes the patient experience better, the family experience better, and it just allows us to thrive even more. Can you tell everybody where to find your podcast? Yes, I am all over all the podcast um, 
why why am I blanking on words? Words or platforms? Words. Platforms, yeah. So Spotify, whatever the Apple podcast app is now. You can find me everywhere. I'm also at nursingoncensored.com. I built the website myself and I'm changing Incredible. It all the time. So it's always growing and gaining more content. So I would love people to go and engage with me there. And I'm really active on Instagram the most. So we're at Nursing Uncensored Podcast there. And you can also find my personal page where I'm most active at uh, Go Go Gadget Nurse. And I will tell you too, before you reached out to me about responding to the Neurodivergent Nurse podcast, and you're like, yeah, I... I have this too. I was so blown away because I followed your stuff for several years now. Your webpage you. is incredible. I don't know how you manage to do all the things that you do. I don't know how you do it. I, you're oh, you're my goals <laughs> of like I a podcaster. An, it's called insomnia. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a labor of love for sure. But, um, before we wrap up, I just want to really, really quick talk about ASMR for people. I just want to give like a really uh, crash course for those who don't know it's autonomic sensory meridian response. So I'm not an expert on it, but the way I describe it is like, you know how, when somebody like runs their nails across a chalkboard, you get that like feeling that like, oh, that's terrible. Well, ASMR, I like to think of it as pleasant side of that. So some people like the feeling, some people don't, but you know, like somebody might come up and like whisper in your ear and you get that like tickle, tingle, Mm -hmm. like, oh, feeling. Well, that's kind of what some people get with certain sounds. They get chills up the back of their neck or brain tingles as they like to call it. Um, And this is actually a sensory, like a nervous response that people get to certain sounds. Now, ASMR, as a lot of people may know, also is kind of on a spectrum. So there's a lot of ASMR that is just like kind of weird. It's it's weird to some people. The concept is weird. I love it. And the way I discovered ASMR was I was listening, I was watching videos in nursing school of like skills-based learning how to like clean wounds and, you know, do catheters and stuff like that. And I was listening on headphones in the skills lab and the instructor was opening packages, but she was opening them very deliberately. And the paper of the like gauze and the catheters and stuff was like crinkling very loudly in her microphone. And so I was hearing this very like like you know these very like crinkly paper sounds and I was like oh I kind of like that paper sound (laughs) so I googled later that day I googled paper crinkle sounds and found this like whole world of ASMR it's basically like there's all these videos there's so many different genres and creators there's this whole other universe of videos of people that make it's everything from like paper crinkling, plastic, people tapping on stuff all the way through to like kinky stuff of like, I don't even want to get into it, like ear licking stuff that I'm not my bag. But I like the like tapping on jars and like lids opening and closing. It's like this very weird stuff, but I get brain tingles from it and it helps me sleep. And as an insomniac, I found that like listening to rain on a tent or like rain on a car roof or stuff like that, all this stuff made me very relaxed and help me sleep. So then I discovered that if I have a teeny tiny little earbud in while I was like charting at work, that it helped me focus and I wasn't quite so 
all over the place of like, oh, I need to get a Pepsi and oh, I'm, I'm, I need to do this. And oh, maybe I should go, you know, I wasn't so distracted. I was more focused. So I feel like that's the ADD part of my brain that needs some stimulus in my ear to help me kind of stay on track. So I encourage folks, if you think that that might be something you're into at your own risk, go on a little (laughs) ASMR dive. My friend, And I did a little talk about ASMR yesterday, and I think it's a little outside of her scope. She likes the raindrop, cafe noise and stuff like that. But I think the the sounds of like drumming and people using combs and shit to make noise, I think that's a little too, too strange for her. But yeah, I just wanted to tell people about that because the rhythmic tappings and stuff like that, that actually makes me anti-ADD brain. I love it. I'm going to try it out too. Yeah. Along with uh, like four other things that you mentioned today. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Well, that is a lot of information I just dropped on you guys. I hope that you have not too hard of a time sifting through all of it. Thank you so much. I, again, I'm so honored that you got on here and you were my first guest on this new podcast. And you know, even though I've listened to your other three episodes, it didn't even dawn on me that like I'm the inaugural guest. You are. I'm really honored. Hopefully one day in the future, you can come back too. All right. Thank you again, Adrian. As always, I appreciate you so much. Thanks everybody. If you made it all the way to the end of the episode, congratulations. I know it was a lot of information coming at you, but I really appreciate you sticking around. If you found that any of the information was something that you could benefit from, and if you think of anyone that could also benefit from it, be sure to share it with them. And also, go to your listening platform, like this podcast, be sure to leave a comment and five stars on it so that other people can find this as well to benefit them. This is how we get found. This is how we get seen. And as always, we're going to end on a joke. Did you hear about the nurse who died and went straight to hell? It took her two weeks to figure out she wasn't at work anymore.